And this evening, we'll just be reading John chapter 1, verses 1 through verse 14. <clears throat> Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of, fle- of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Seek the Lord's blessing on this, His Word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for uh, your word. And again, we're thankful that we uh, have this opportunity to come and to study your word. And as we consider this passage and uh, this topic this evening, we just pray that you would give us understanding and insight uh, all to the praise and the glory of your holy name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the scriptures and the confession of faith both speak of the Lord Jesus Christ as being a mediator. For example, when, God, uh, when we considered a God's covenant of grace, we noted from uh, Hebrews 8-6 that now He has obtained a more excellent ministry and as much as He is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. But what is a mediator? And why is a mediator necessary in our relationship with God? Well, a mediator is simply one who goes between uh, two parties to help reconcile and make amends. Applied to our relationship with God, that mediator intervenes and, and reconciles us to God. And of course, we need reconciliation with God, even as we read earlier from, from Job. Job was desiring Uh, a mediator between he and the Lord uh, because of the contention that was uh, apparent between them, or at least that's what he sensed. Well, we need a mediator. We need a mediator because of Adam's violation of the covenant of works. We need a mediator because uh, by Adam's disobedience and sin, he plunged all humanity into a state of sin and and misery. We need a mediator because part of that misery is being separated from God. And of course that was evidenced by God banishing Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. We need a mediator because we're we're enemies with God because of our sin. And because we're dead in our sins and transgressions. Because we're sinners, unable to save ourselves, and we are worthy of eternal condemnation and the wrath and the curse 
of God. And so, yes, we need a mediator. We need someone who will intervene and make things right between us and God. Because we are unable to mediate this great conflict on our own, we know that God graciously intervened and sent His Son to be that mediator. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 8, paragraph 1, says this, It pleased God in His eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, His only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, the head and savior of His church, the heir of all things and judge of the world, unto whom He did from all eternity give a people to be His seed and to be by Him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Now, Lord willing, we'll unpack this uh, uh, paragraph over the next couple of weeks, but uh, this evening I just want to focus on a few particular points. And that is, the sending of a mediator was an act of God's free grace. That is, it was according to His good pleasure and purpose. It wasn't something uh, initiated by man, and it certainly couldn't be accomplished by obedience to the law. The mediator, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was chosen and ordained by God to this task. And so, therefore, we know that there is no other acceptable mediator except the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul bears witness to this in 1 Timothy 2, saying, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And, of course, we know Roman Catholics like to look at as Mary as a mediator, uh, and, uh, and even the saints to a certain extent, but that is a clear violation of the Word of God. There is only one mediator between God and man. We only need one mediator, and he was the perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, the purpose of the mediator was to reconcile mankind to God and, of course, to fulfill various offices and bestow blessings upon God's people, the church. And, of course, that greatest blessing is that we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Romans 5. Well, in turn, because of Christ's perfect obedience, Jesus, the mediator, would be given a people or a seed uh, to be his own forever and ever. And they would be redeemed and called, justified and sanctified and glorified over time. And, of course, that people is the church for whom Christ died. A mediator was necessary. Man couldn't be his own mediator, and so God graciously sent his own son to be that mediator. And this granting of a mediator happened through the great and the mysterious event of the incarnation. And so paragraph uh, 2 of chapter 8 of the Confession says this, The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very an eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, <clears throat> did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her, of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. 
which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. We see from this that Christ, the Son of God, was essentially in His being God. The Son is the second person of the Trinity. And then He's equal in substance and power with God. And we see this again in what we read in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And so the Son, the Word, was God. And He was there in the beginning creating all things. But the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh. And that's uh, for John 1, verse 14. He became flesh and He dwelt among us. And of course, this happened in the fullness of time, which means at God's appointed time, it wasn't too soon, it wasn't too late, it was the perfect time when Christ came and became man. The great miracle of the Incarnation is, again, a great mystery. From the uh, holy conception to the virgin birth. The angel Gabriel announced to Mary in Luke 1, saying, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who was to be born will be called the Son of God. Now the result of this union, is what we call the hypostatic union, is that we have one person with two distinct natures, a divine nature and a human nature, and again, residing within one and the same person. Christ's human nature was really and truly human. We know that Jesus was a real man. He had a body of flesh and blood. He had a human spirit, human emotions. He was even susceptible to human infirmities like temptation, weariness, hunger, and thirst. Jesus was a man. But there's one way in which he was different from any other man. Jesus was perfect, holy, and without sin. And the, the writer of the Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus, uh, being human, was tempted, and yet he never sinned. But of course, Jesus wasn't just a man. He also remained fully God, fully holy, fully perfect. His divinity wasn't weakened, it wasn't marred, it wasn't diminished in any way uh, when it uh, joined together with uh, his human nature. And the confession emphasizes that at the time of the incarnation, again, these two distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person. And this refers to the fact that once the human and divine nature came together, they never separated. So that all through Christ's life and ministry, all through His suffering and death on the cross, through His burial and His resurrection, through His ascension, and even now, and forevermore, as He sits on the throne, He is the God-man. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, And without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So Jesus remains the God-man even today. 
Now, of course, there have been many uh, erroneous and heretical views regarding the Incarnation, and most of these uh, often involve emphasizing one nature of Jesus over the other, uh, or sometimes fusing the two uh, together so that there's no distinction between the two natures. And so some of these uh, views, uh, for example, docetism, uh, which was an early form of Gnosticism, uh, Jesus, and they would assert that Jesus only seemed to be a man, but that he was actually just a spirit or an angel. Now this was perhaps one of the earliest errors, as the Apostle John appears to be refuting uh, something similar to this error. In 1 John 1, John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So here we see John is, is testifying that they, you know, using the senses, they saw, they heard, they touched, they handled this Son of God. Jesus, that he was a real person, he was a real human. He wasn't just a, a spirit, he wasn't just a, a figment of their imagination. And then later in chapter 4, John goes on to say, By this you know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And so that again, it's, it's showing the, the controversy that he was addressing. There were those who were denying that Jesus had come in the flesh and that he was just a spirit. And so that's the, the Gnostic or the, the Docetism. Another uh, early uh, erroneous view was Arianism. And this uh, bas- they basically asserted that Jesus was just a creation of God. Uh, he was made part God and part man. So this really denied the full humanity and the full deity of Jesus. And of course, Mormons today are uh, modern day Arians uh, holding to that same heretical view. There's Apollinarianism. Uh, this proposed that the human nature was mingled and swallowed up by the divine nature. And again, so it's confusing uh, or not recognizing the uh, the two distinct natures, but they just kind of meshed in together uh, as one, where you couldn't tell the difference between one and the other. Nestorianism uh, proposed that basically Jesus was somewhat kind of uh, schizophrenic, uh, that he was two persons, it was a human and one divine, but they were in the same being rather than two natures in one person. And so they kind of got that uh, aspect mixed up. They said these two separate uh, people, but together in one being. And so uh, kind of a dualistic, um, again, kind of schizophrenia where you split. Uh, Eutychianism was intended to be a response to Nestorianism, but of course went to the other extreme. And again, fused the two natures together And so rather than having them be distinct within one person, and the result was that the humanity of Jesus just kind of got swallowed up and lost. And uh, modern-day Coptics and Ethiopian, some Ethiopian Christian groups uh, still hold to that erroneous view uh, today. Monothelitism was uh, a view that denied that Jesus had a human will. 
But of course, as we read through the scriptures, we know that the humanness of Jesus' will is shown clearly, especially in that prayer in, in Gethsemane where he, uh, he went and he fell on his face and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That was Jesus, the man, expressing his will. But then he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And it's a great picture of Jesus uh, in his humanity submitting to the will of the Heavenly Father. And so these are just a few of the false heretical views regarding the incarnation and the natures of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Bible shows us, however, that there is much we don't understand. And of course that is what often opens up to speculation and some of these erroneous views. It is a great mystery of God. But what we do know is that Jesus Christ was God incarnate. He was fully God he was fully man. Two distinct natures and yet one person. It is this Jesus that was our mediator and he was empowered by God to be able to accomplish his work. And we see this work of the mediator in paragraph 3 of chapter 8 of the confession. The Lord Jesus in his human nature, thus united to the divine, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a mediator and surety, which office he took not unto himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who put all power and judgment into his hand, and gave him commandment to execute the same. As a result of the incarnation, uh, the human nature of Jesus was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so again, this is why Jesus was perfect and sinless. Because of the miracle of his conception, whereas the Holy Spirit came and, and planted the seed inside Mary's womb, this was what we call extraordinary generation. It wasn't the ordinary way uh, that people, uh, that, that humans are born. We know sin passes from parents uh, to children through ordinary generation. But Jesus' generation was extraordinary. It was the Holy Spirit uh, implanting the seed in the womb of Mary. And so Jesus was uh, sanctified. He was pure and holy right from conception. Now Mary wasn't pure and holy, but Jesus in her womb was pure and holy. And this also means that Jesus always had the Holy Spirit. And we see this in Luke 2. Uh, as he grew, the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And so the Spirit of God uh, always with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was full of grace and truth, wisdom and knowledge, and of course the fullness of God. And as we read in uh, John 1.14, <clears throat> that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so uh, this is what we know of the Lord Jesus. Well, Jesus, even though he already had the Holy Spirit, since he was truly God, yet he was still anointed, commissioned, and empowered to this work by God 
through the Holy Spirit at his baptism. That was one of the chief uh, reasons other than identifying with us in our, in our sin and misery and, and uh, submitting himself to, uh, to the law. Jesus was baptized as a way to uh, anoint him for service. Immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And endued with such power, Jesus did many great works and wonders. In fact, in Acts 10, verse 38, we read this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And so it was the Spirit of God working in Jesus uh, that was enabled him to do these great works. <clears throat> well, because Jesus was so called and empowered, well, then he truly was fully equipped to accomplish his work as our mediator. But there's one other point to mention having to do with the, uni- the unity of the person of Christ and the relation of his two natures. And this is paragraph 7 of the Confession, chapter 8. Christ, in the work of mediation, acteth according to both natures, by each nature doing that which is proper to itself. Yet by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in Scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. So this shows us that Jesus had a divine will and a human will that, though distinct, they still worked together. And so, for example, when Jesus calmed the storm on the sea, when he cast out demons, when he uh, healed the sick and he raised the dead, he was acting from his divine nature. Because, of course, no human could ever accomplish these things. But only the power and the authority given by God through the Holy Spirit would enable him to accomplish these things. And when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, or he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus, he was Lazarus, he was acting out of his humanity. And yet the humanity and the divinity of Jesus were never at odds with one another. In fact, as the confession notes in Scripture, what we proper what properly belongs to one nature is often attributed to the other. And so, for example, in Acts twenty, Paul says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. God is a spirit, and he doesn't have a body or blood like, like men. But here, the work of Christ, an attribute of his humanity, that is, his physical death, is ascribed to his divine nature. And it's, uh, it's the God purchased with his own blood. Well, that was possible because Jesus was both God and man. And then John 3, verse 13, <clears throat> No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And here Jesus is speaking before his death and his ascension, but an attribute of his divine nature, that is his eternal deity, is attributed to his human nature, uh, and that designation, the Son of Man, that Jesus often used of himself, uh, really brings out that aspect that he was truly a Son of Man. He was uh, a man. And so Jesus truly was one person with two distinct natures, and those two natures uh, worked in conjunction with one another. Well, there's certainly much that we don't understand, 
And again, because of our finite minds, we can't understand all that there is to know about the union of the two natures in one person in Jesus Christ, that is both his human and his divine nature. But what we can understand, because it has been revealed to us, is that this God-man, Jesus Christ, was truly the Son of God. And He truly was God. And He was the Son of Man. He truly was a man. And He has been graciously, graciously sent to be the one and only true mediator between God and man. And of course, that, that the fact that He's, we'll look at this later, the fact that He is God and man, both, makes Him the perfect mediator between God and man. And without this mediator, we would stand condemned before God and deserving of death. But certainly we can praise God that He so graciously intervened and sent for us and appointed a mediator, even His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to accomplish what we, can, we couldn't and bring about peace and reconciliation between sinful man and the glorious, holy, perfect God. All to the praise of His glorious name. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord God in heaven, we we do praise you and thank you. Even we just touched the surface of this important doctrine of Christ Jesus as our mediator, and especially considering uh, this great mystery of the incarnation and uh, how uh, Jesus could be one man and yet have two distinct natures, human and divine. And yet how this beautifully equips him to be the perfect mediator between God and man. To bring about peace and reconciliation, which he truly accomplished for us when he gave himself as once for all perfect sacrifice for our sins. So that we might have peace and reconciliation with you. That we might have the forgiveness of sins. And that we might stand forever in your glorious presence. And so we just praise you and thank you, O God, that you are so gracious toward us that you would send such a great and perfect mediator to serve us and to serve your holy will. And we just ask now, Lord, that you would continue to be with us as we uh, now uh, turn our, uh, to the week that lies ahead. We just pray that you would re help us to be mindful of what we've considered on this, the Lord's Day, and that we've been encouraged and built up by the truth of your word, that we've enjoyed the fellowship of the saints, that we've rested and that you would now equip us to go forth to be faithful witnesses, and that we might truly bring glory to your name as we seek to live for your glory in all things. Father, we just pray now for your blessing upon us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat>